You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. People said, amen, great singing. You may be seated. Brother Lighty, keep coming up. Looking forward to the message tonight. It's already been a blessing. Thank you, brother. Amen. Thank you, brother Jet. Well, good evening. Thank you for being back tonight. That is a good song, isn't it? Beulah Land. Uh, getting more special as you contemplate it all the time. I remember uh, I was probably in my early 20s. And I remember hearing my grandfather say he died when he was 87. He was probably 85 at the time. I remember him saying with a little yearning in his voice, really, I'll never forget it. He said, all my friends are gone. <laughs> and uh, I'm now getting into that stage of life that uh, you heard people say, I got more people on the other side than I got on this side. And just this last week, uh, I was sharing with someone before the service, my, my mentor, my youth director, when I was called to preach, and uh, he married my wife and I, and uh, very dear to me. Uh, Ken Adrian is his name. He just passed away last week. And um, heaven's getting richer and more special. And uh, like Paul, who said, to depart is far better, I'm getting a real appreciation for that. Yes. And uh, I'm really not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. And I'm, I really, I'd, like to, I'd like to go when I'm preaching, you know, about like that, go through the roof like that. And uh, <laughs> that's what I'd like. <laughs> But it uh, can't be long, honestly, as I trust you think as well. The uh, Lord's coming is imminent, yes. and uh, can't be too soon for me. But he did say, occupy till I come. So we're not supposed to you know, sell everything we own and go stand up on a mountain dressed in white looking up. No, we're supposed to be about the master's business, yes. and uh, what a privilege it is to do that. Amen. So let's be found faithful, amen? amen? The Lord's faithful. Great is his faithfulness. Somebody ought to write a song about that. It'd be good. <laughs> But uh, thank God for it. Okay. Well, I want to say, too, before I get into the message, uh, what a blessing it is to be here and how I appreciate this church and your pastor and his family spent some time with them at lunch today. And you're blessed if you don't know it, I'm telling you, but you probably do. You have a good pastor and their family are very special and uh, not every church is blessed like yours. And uh, so you ought to thank God for it and uh, rejoice in it, as I know you do. But I just want to say it's been a blessing, Brother Jet, and thank you for the privilege that you've given me to preach. I, I tell him when he asked me to preach, I say, well, I get up there, I like to hear you preach, <laughs> and I do. I, I love to hear him preach, and I know he's getting busy because he's getting known, and I, I'm glad for that because uh, we need to hear young preachers like him, and I thank God for it. Uh, I want to say, too, I, I appreciate this church. Uh, I, I'm so sorry I missed the whole missions conference. I... Uh, <clears throat> I am traveling quite a bit more than I ever imagined I would be after I retired. And of all the meetings I had to miss, I had to miss that one. But I've heard rave reviews and so thankful for it and thankful for the emphasis. Uh, boy, as we all know, this part of the country, boy, do we need home missionaries and churches planted. And so that's, that is the master's business. That's what we're supposed to be about. And so I'm thankful this church is kind of spearheading that and kind of taking the lead. But I, I really do appreciate it. And, uh, but I'm sorry I missed it. I, I certainly plan to make the next one. And, uh, but anyway, and then, of course, this church uh, brings one of the biggest groups down to our men's retreat that, that our church hosts every year. And so I just want you to know you're special to me, and I, I count it a privilege to be with you here tonight. So Amen. let's ask God's blessing on the service before we get going here, okay? <clears throat> Father, we do thank you as we just rehearsed some of the things for which we are thankful. And... Uh, God, more than we, than we are, we ought to be thankful and uh, take time to count our blessings and name them one by one. There are so many great things and, uh, for which you just shower us with day by day, and you're so good. Lord, we just rejoice in your goodness. And I pray once again now as we go to your word tonight that uh, that would speak to our hearts in a good way. Lord, that you might accomplish what you desire to do in each of our lives. Thank you again for what you've already done in our midst here today. 
and we're pleased, but God, we're not satisfied. We, we thirst and we hunger after the Word of God, and so we pray that you'll feed us the bread of life tonight and be that sustenance and strength to us that we so depend upon and need, particularly in these last days. Oh God, how dear uh, the Word of God and the promises therein are to us. So we trust you to encourage us and, and uh, strengthen us with some of that here tonight. Convict us as we need to be. We're a needy people. So, Father, I pray you look into our hearts and lives, and I know I'm as needy as anyone here, and so I pray you'd speak to my need as you speak through me to the needs of others here tonight. So we commit the service again to you now, looking forward to what you're going to do. We'll praise you and thank you for it even now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 When, uh, when I first started uh, pastoring, uh, started in 1978, shortly thereafter, uh, there were some leading independent Baptist pastors that pastored some very large and influential churches that established a ministry together uh, for the purpose of providing Sunday school material uh, for independent Baptist churches. Uh, there's a lot of material from which you can choose, and, uh, but they had a conviction and a concern for churches to have good, solid, independent Baptist uh, Sunday school material. And so they started these series. It was 13-week booklets that they started publishing uh, series on different things. <clears throat> and uh, the first one that they uh, published was called Key Chapters of the Bible. Key Chapters of the Bible. And just because I think we're curious, I'll throw a few of them at you that you might imagine would be listed. Uh, <clears throat> first one was Genesis 1. Uh, I saw where you're having a Sunday night series, I believe, or Sunday morning, Sunday morning series on Genesis. That's a good place to start, you think? <laughs> That's about as foundational as it gets. In fact, everything else thereafter makes a whole lot more sense if you understand uh, the foundational truths that Genesis has laid down. So uh, it's a good thing that God put it first, you think? Uh, because it is very primary, very elementary, but very foundational, uh, again, to everything that we believe. And just for fun, I'll say in passing, uh, was the psalmist said, I, I have more knowledge than my teachers. Uh, I would say to you youngsters, uh, if you know the Word of God and believe what the Word of God says, particularly in the day in which we live, if uh, I'm not an advocate of <laughs> what's called public education, I call it public conditioning, but if you are so uh, disadvantaged as to have to go to that school, uh, so-called, then I would uh, challenge you to stand up for your faith. And you can, by knowing the Word of God, be smarter than your teachers, I'm telling you. Uh, <clears throat> I like what God told Job. You remember there in Job, I think it's one of the last chapters there. He's kind of chiding Job. <laughs> he says, where were you when I hung the stars? You know, <laughs> I like to say that to these pinheaded professors that think we came from some gobbledygook. You know, where were you when God put it all to, uh, in place? You know, right. I'd rather take a firsthand account, Amen of what transpired. I like this one of my favorite uh, little poems. I'll throw it in for free. Three monkeys sat in a coconut tree <clears throat> discussing things as they're said to be. Said one to the other, now listen you two, there's a rumor going around that is not true, that man descended from our noble race. Why, the very idea is a great disgrace. No monkeys ever deserted his wife, starved her babies and ruined their life. And you've never known a mother monk to leave her babies with others to bunk or pass them on from one to another till they scarcely know who's their mother. <laughs> Here's another thing a monkey won't do. Go out at night and get on a stew or use a gun or a club or a knife to take another monkey's life. Yeah, a man's descended, the honor cuss. But brother, he didn't descend from us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the creation itself has more sense, come on, than so-called learned mankind. <laughs> I used to kind of... A, uh, imagine how, you know, when they first came back from the moon, they brought back a bag of rocks and sand and stuff from the moon, and they, these scientists are all putting it under the microscope and studying it and saying, man, this is billions of years old. Jesus said, if the rocks could cry out, I was thinking those moon rocks would say, you idiot! <laughs> I'm only 6,000 years old, you idiot! Yeah, come on, hello. Uh, yeah, the Word of God reveals to us great truths, and again I say, Genesis certainly would be a key book. Now, just in passing, Exodus 20, you think that might be a key chapter? Oh, yeah. yeah, key chapter of the Bible. The law. Yeah. 
foundational law. I mentioned this morning that our founders founded the laws of our country on the foundational law of this book. And uh, anyway, I could go off on that as well. Isaiah 53, boy, there's a key chapter. (laughs) In fact, today, if you ever meet a a Jew, uh, a non-believing Jew, ask them what they think about Isaiah 53. Because they still are troubled at that chapter. (laughs) Yeah, they ought to be troubled. Amen. Boy, it's a great manifestation, prophetic manifestation of our Savior, of course, the Lord Jesus. And then John chapter 3. Boy, is that, a, is that a key chapter? Yeah, key chapter. You must be born again, yeah. Acts chapter 2, a key chapter of the Bible. And uh, Hebrews 11, of course, the great hall of faith. We can go on. There's others. I say 13 different chapters that they said were key chapters uh, of the Bible. <clears throat> Interestingly, the next series that they published uh, in this series, Key Chapters of the Bible, the next little booklet they came out, came out with was called The Key Books of the Bible or I'm sorry, a key book of the Bible, which was, it was a study of the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Uh, I'm going to be preaching in the book of Acts here in just a moment. Uh, I believe if ever in any time frame or uh, dispensation of what we call the church age, there's a time for believers to know the book of Acts. Well, I'm telling you, it's today. I call it the handbook of church ministry. <laughs> and you know these gurus that are coming on the scene saying, well, yeah, Acts is good, but it's kind of antiquated. We, we need a new approach to church ministry today. You know what I say to that? <laughs> it's a bunch of hooey. Okay? We are given the handbook for church ministry. Okay? And come on, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His plan works if we'll work the plan. The problem is we've gotten away from putting his plan to work in our ministries. But it works if we work it. So again, uh, the book of Acts is a, what I would call a key book of the Bible, especially in this New Testament dispensation that we call the church age. Uh, Acts is a handbook for church ministry. This is the church age. Come on. You need to have a working knowledge of this handbook about what this church and every church is supposed to be about. And how to be about it. (laughs) I like the fact God tells us not only what to do, he tells us how to do it. And to be a success at it. Come on, I want to be a success. I want to see our churches be a success. We need to get back to the word of God. Just put it to practice. In fact, again, the key understanding in this dispensation is to understand the key institution of this dispensation, which is the church. There are three institutions, as you may know, that God has established for the good of society. Starts in the home. The home's the first institution. Okay. And let me just say in passing, every one of these institutions Satan has in his crosshairs. He's working overtime on these three primary institutions that are established for the good of, of mankind. So again, the home is first and it really starts there. In fact, if Satan can destroy the home, he can destroy the government and he can destroy church. Because right. those are founded again on the family. One of the problems in our nation today, the family is being destroyed. <laughs> Talking about door knocking, is it is a little different from when I was a teenager? When I was door knocking as a teenager, you would find families. I mean, what was called the nuclear family was, was very common. I'd, I'd say eight, nine out of ten doors you knocked on. Now it's just the obvious. You don't know who goes with which, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's, it's sick. But it's a result, again, of Satan's undermining and destroying that institution. So the home. <clears throat> and then I, again I say government. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of an issue today. Because again Satan is working. To undermine. Destroy. Corrode. Erode. <laughs> that which God established for good. Uh, you think government's bad? Go to anarchy. Yes. <laughs> which I fear for. I said, unless God intervenes or he comes and gets us out of here, I'm no prophet, but I know from the examples and the testimony of the word of God, every nation that's turned away from God is destroyed. And if he'll set aside his own nation, Israel, who do we think we are? You're right. (laughs) 
I'm glad God's merciful. Mm, boy, am I glad God's merciful. I'm glad he's long-suffering. But I think I said it this morning, at some point his mercy comes together with his justice. And I said where I was going with that, I, I don't know what's coming down the pike altogether, but I can easily foresee. I think it's been a little bit more easy to foresee it here lately. That we may be working our way towards some sort of a civil war. But there's no Mason-Dixon line now. <laughs> it's going to be neighborhood against neighborhood. I'm telling you, it's going to be like Beirut, Lebanon. It's not going to be pretty. Oh, how we need God to heal our land. The government is the institution God established for good. If it's operated just like the home, if it's operated as God designed it to be operated, I'm telling you, it is a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing for man to find the wife, the Bible says. Amen. Yes. <laughs> what a blessing it is to have a home as God designed it. What a blessing it is to have a, a government as God designed it and defined it and intended it. Amen. And it's again, I say, our founders wanted to see established. And then where I'm going, of course, is the third institution, which is the church. Again, God intended for the church to be an institution for the good of society. Some years ago, <clears throat> this is Sunday night, so I hope you're not in a hurry. I <laughs> uh, some years ago, word had gotten out that Nebraska was considering <clears throat> taking away a tax exemption for churches. Um, and there's, well, again, it's, it's coming. Some things are coming against the church now. I'll tell you, look, look around and enjoy your, your building. This was beautiful. I don't know how much longer we'll have facilities. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I went to this hearing at, at some uh, at the legislature there in Nebraska about this matter, and uh, so I, I prepared a little statement. I got to speak to them, and I said, uh, "If, if Nebraska is really that much in need of more revenue, I suggest that you raise the taxes on the booze industry." <laughs> yeah. Right. Boy, everybody's ears perked up. <laughs> In fact, I got approached afterwards by a newspaper, and they love conflict, you know. <laughs> anyway, I said, uh, yeah, the church is for the good of society. It's to help families. It's to help people. It's to help our state. But the liability is the liquor crowd. They're destroying families. They're destroying the workplace. They're taking away man hours. The, the highways are a, a slaughterhouse because of that. You ought, you ought to up the ante on that crowd if you're going to do something. Anyway, God established the church to be the good influence in society and to be the salt and the light. Come on. America needs more gospel preaching churches like this church. It's like we said, this part of the country, God give us more church planters. <laughs> churches need to be Again, as God designed them to be. <laughs> Not a social entity. Now, there's some great byproducts, aren't there? <laughs> there's some great perks of being involved in a local Bible-believing, Bible preaching Baptist church. I like covered dish dinners. Can, can you tell? <laughs> I mean, I like fellowship. I like friendship. I met my wife in church. When I was a teenager, there was a song. I remember some of you go back in the 60s. I think it was the, the Box Tops had this song. I met her in church. I met her in church. That's a good song. <laughs> you can almost sing it in church. <laughs> That's a good place to meet a wife. Hello. But not just any church. I'm talking about a church that stands and is as God intended for it to stand. Yeah. Okay. So again, the, the influence and the place of this institution that God has established. Several key passages underscore the key that the church institution is for this dispensation, especially Matthew 16, 18. You should know this one. Upon this rock, and Jesus is pointing to himself when he makes this, this statement. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not 
prevail against it. There's a great promise. Amen. We're on the winning side. Yes, sir. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. If he loved it enough to give himself for it, man, the least we ought to do is pray for it, attend it, be a part of it. Come on. Be there when it meets. Amen. Come on, this Sunday night crowd, you can say, man, aren't you glad you're here? There's a whole host of church members, I suggest. Hey, I'm in an independent Baptist church. I know how it is. I'll bet there's a whole host of independent Baptist church members of this church who aren't here tonight. Now, I know there's some because the positions that they hold. I'm glad that there's police force that are standing guard. I'm glad that there's military people, come on, doing their job in that place. But there's a whole lot more that could be here, yea, that ought to be here, that should be here, that God intends for them, for, for them to be here. It's important business here. Okay. Acts 13, 2. That's, of course, the great missionary passage, as you know, where it says, The Holy Ghost said to the church there in Antioch, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them. What was their work? Church planning work. Yes. <laughs> Paul was a church planner. He gave his life to it. And he planted them, and then he went back and said, Let's see how they do. And he went back and encouraged them and admonished them and exhorted them and built them up in the faith. In fact, do you know almost all of the New Testament is written either about or to churches? Now, some are personal letters, but they're written to church members. Come on, the whole context of the New Testament is in this institution that God established to carry out the Father's business. Don't tell me. I'm sick and tired. Don't give me this thing. Well, I'll be there. It's not all that important. Excuse me. It's the most important thing. The church, the institution. Another reason, of course, the book of Acts is a key book of the Bible. It serves for what I've always said, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, it's the handbook for church ministry, giving instruction and guidance for the institution itself to accomplish its purpose. What are we about here? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, just pick up the book of Acts. (laughs) The book of Acts. You may have heard the book of Acts called the book of action. It is that. Come on, it's not just for us to sit around and praise the Lord. No, we got a work to do, okay? So it said it's often called the book of accomplishment. And that's what God wants us to see. Come on. Not Not just to know about the work, but to be engaged in the work to see that the work is accomplished. And I'll talk about some of the things involved with that here in just a moment. Acts chapter 5 is one passage in the book that gives great insight into the accomplishment that I believe God intends for the New Testament age. So if you're able to, if, you're, if you can stand, please, turn to the book of Acts again, I say. And verse number, uh, chapter 5, we're going we're gonna to start in verse number 11. Uh, and before we start, let me say this. <clears throat> it's interesting right here. Until you read up to chapter 5, the church institution, particularly that church, of course, that uh, Jesus started and started its ministry there in the book of Acts in, in Jerusalem. It's like a steamroller baby. I mean, they are seeing hordes of people saved. 3,000 saved on that first day, day of Pentecost. And then a week or so later, 5,000 more saved. I mean, they say by the time you get a couple months in, they said there are more people saved in Jerusalem than are not saved. (laughs) And of course, the... The criticism is they're turning the world upside down when the reality is they're turning the world right side up. Yeah. But I'm telling you, it's that kind of impact that they're having in that whole community and that place for the cause of Christ. And we know the Lord's vision was a little bit bigger than that, was it not? In fact, he allowed a little persecution to come so that it would scatter them and get them about the master's business, which is, come on, God's always had a vision for the whole world. We read it this morning in Isaiah's passage. He talked about for the Gentiles' benefit. Come on, God never chose Israel at the expense of the rest of the world. No, he chose them to benefit the rest of the world. And through them, he would reach the rest of the world. Because God's always had the world in mind. For God so loved the world that he gave himself. Okay? So again, it's that vision that he's always had. And so he motivates them to begin to fulfill that vision. As he gets them to uh, begin to scatter. But it's interesting. I started to say here, you get to chapter 5. I mean, it's all, whoa. They're having success after success. But in chapter 5, if you know the story, Ananias and Sapphira, Satan gets inside the church. (laughs) And ever since Acts chapter 5, Satan has had an enlightening experience. Oh, oh. 
Not that he's quit attacking from the outside, and he's ramping that up in these last days, but his most, most effective destruction or attack against the church takes place inside. And so from Acts 5, boy, he's kept that up. Therefore, we have churches today that don't even know the truth. <laughs> All right, but, but I'm going to get past Ananias and Sapphira because notice here the impact of that because God certainly makes known <laughs> he's still the Lord of all, uh, if you know that story. But pick up in verse number 11. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Now that means they had a great respect for them. They had an honor. Well, they, had, they had some credibility, if you will. People weren't just ready and willing to join the church because they knew what was involved with that. Yeah, boy, some things have changed. Verse number 14, believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Okay, thank you. You can be seated. Again, I say in this passage, the Lord gives some real insight into the accomplishment that God intends. Come on, folks. As I said, we have to occupy till he, till he comes. We still got a work to do around here. Right. <laughs> Probably more work than we've ever uh, confronted before in our country, I'll say. The work is great. And Jesus lamented the fact, you know, the only prayer request he ever gave us, Jesus shared a prayer request with us. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest. He'd send forth labors into the harvest. Harvest is great, labors are few. And so, man, there's a great work to be done. And so right here in this passage, there's some insight about what God intends for this New Testament institution that he established to accomplish what he intended for it to accomplish. You heard the little phrase, God don't make no junk. (laughs) God didn't come up with a program that, well, it might work, you know, it's done some good things, but it lacks. No, I'm telling you, the plan works if we work the plan. Amen. God didn't come up with a plan that won't work or it only works in this part of the country. No, it works everywhere in every part of the world if we'll work the plan. So there's some insight here about this accomplishment. Come on, God wants us to accomplish. It's the book of accomplishment. God wants us to accomplish this program and plan, this vision, what we call the Great Commission. He wants us to see it accomplished. Amen. Come on, respond here. He wants us to see it accomplished. Amen. Yeah. So again, some things involved. First of all, and I've kinda, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I've already kind of referred to it, the vehicle for the accomplishment. Look at verse number 11 again. And great fear came upon all the church. Get your theology right. This is the church age. The the institution that the Lord has raised up for this dispensation to do the Father's business. Come on, he's not going to leave us powerless, not going to leave us comfortless. Don't do anything, he told those apostles, until the Holy Spirit comes. Because when he comes, he will empower you. He will enable you to accomplish the challenge and the charge I've given you. Come on, we can do it. Yeah. And he placed it in this institution called the church. Now, someone said, well, you don't have to be a member of the church to be saved. No. When you get saved, you ought to become a member of the church. (laughs) If you're saved and you haven't gotten baptized yet, what's you waiting on? Follow me, the Lord said. He he set the example. Now, he didn't get baptized to get saved. Hello. (laughs) That's kind of a, duh. He's the Savior. But he set the example. We're supposed to identify with him. And so, come on, when you're saved, then you ought to get baptized. And we were talking about it today. Baptism, Jesus is the door to salvation, but baptism is the door to the church. That's the way you become a member of the church. Okay. And so, again, God intends for you to be a part of this institution. Well, the gospel can be preached. You don't have to be a member of the church. No, that's right. But I hear me say again, you can do things or you can do things scripturally. 
The apostle Paul said, some preach Christ of contention. And he kind of, kind of goes on to say, I don't subscribe to that. I don't recommend that. I just rejoice Christ is preached. You, know, you can get involved in the navigators and you can get involved in the campus crusade. and You can get involved in the Gideons. and You can get involved in all kinds of things that are what are called parachurch. And I praise God for the work that they do. Praise God for anybody gets saved because the gospel's preached. But come on, move on up to a little higher plane. Someone asked uh, Jerry Falwell years ago, said, if you weren't a Baptist, what would you be? I'd be ashamed. (laughs) Well, it talks about, again, the institution the Lord established to carry out his business is this institution called the church. You can do it your way or you can do it God's way. You have a responsibility as a child of God to do everything before him his way. And God is into methodology, by the way. People say, well, methods aren't that important. Excuse me. Yes, they are. You don't do things your way. Remember David? Yeah, the ark. <laughs> Did he have the right heart? Did he have the right spirit? Did he have the right purpose? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to get the ark where we need to have it in, in Jerusalem where it belongs. Loads it up on an ox cart. Man, he's dancing. Remember the story? He's dancing before the, the ox cart and they're bringing it in. Man, he's rejoicing. And who was it? Uza, I think. <laughs> Streets like you have up here and <laughs> Sioux City, potholes about every two feet. And that old locks cart hit a pothole or something, and it, you know, the ark's about to fall. So he, come on, Uzzah's attitude, his spirit's right. He, he doesn't want the ark, fall, or the ark to fall off the cart, so he puts his hand there, God smites him dead. Remember that story? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is not verbatim, but something like this. God's, David said to God, what are you doing? <laughs> We're trying to... We're trying to put you in a place of glory. Basically, God said this. Shut up, David, and do your homework. <laughs> you don't, that's not the way you move the cart or move the ark. Do your homework. Read it up. Read up on it. Yeah. So don't tell me God doesn't care about methodology. Oh, yes, he does. We're supposed to do things God's way. And so the vehicle for accomplishment, the focus of the New Testament is again the church. I say again, all those letters were written to the churches. The word church or churches is found 22 times in the book of Acts. Churches mentioned in the book of Acts included Jerusalem, Antioch of Syria, Lystra, Iconium, Derbe, Colossae, Antioch of Pisidia, Ephesus, Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, and Corinth. And that's just in the book of Acts. The church, come on, we're talking about the churches, that institution that the Lord established to carry out his business. That's the focus. And for a child of God, that's to be our focus. We're supposed to be a part of it. We're supposed to be a part of it. (laughs) That doesn't mean just coming sitting in the chair. It was the identification of the New Testament. There in verse number 12, it says, with one accord. With one accord. They're all of one accord there in the church, okay? It says, again, in verse number 13, there were those that feared to join themselves or join himself to it. Come on, to be a part, you join it. I don't know if it's the same up here, Brother Jed. I'm assuming it probably is. Just in the last, I don't know, 10 or 12 years or so, I've noticed a, a change in things. Just to get somebody fill out a guest card or a visitor card, they don't, they don't want to do it yet. I mean, you can almost, almost get rude and say, hey, man, would you fill out the card? <laughs> they'll, they'll take the card. They'll take the you know, information about your church. They might even put their first name on the card. They don't tell you where they live. They don't give you a phone number. If anything, they'll give you an email address. You know? And I've found, you know, follow up. This isn't uncommon. I'll follow up, finally get an address somehow, look them up and find where they live. I knock on their door and say, hey, just Pastor Lyke just wanted to visit with you. I can hardly get the sentence out to say, I just wanted to tell you how much we appreciate you coming. Before I can even say that, they say, why don't you call for you come? (laughs) Well, what do you say to that? Well, I'm sorry. And in my own heart, I'm thinking I wouldn't say it to them. I don't call because you won't let me come. And I want to come. I want to know what you believe. I want to have an opportunity to witness to you if you need to hear the gospel. I got some good news. Come on. I got some good news for you. People will come 
people in my church that will attend and never join. Come on, this is a Sunday night crowd. I, yeah. On my side here, I'm talking about things that we face in the ministry today. People don't, you know, we live in a time, no one wants to commit to anything. They got prenuptial agreements for a divorce <laughs> before they ever get married. I mean, there's no commitment. <laughs> no commitment to the job, no commitment to the church, no commitment to life, <laughs> really. No commitment. Uh, come on, it, I don't, this is, <laughs> this is what I like about being a visiting preacher. <laughs> I can speak, you know, just all this stuff. I can get it off my chest and then I can go home. I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> Brother Jed has to deal with it. But I'm telling you, if you're here and you're not a member and you've been attending here for some time, why don't you just jump on in? The water's fine. Come on. Be a part of it. I said be a part of it. God intends for you to be a part of it. The Great Commission. <laughs> you're supposed to evangelize and you're supposed to baptize then you're supposed to deputize. <laughs> That's a part of it. You get baptized and you get in. Come on, get in. Come on, get in. Amen. Be a part of it. Okay. The vehicle for accomplishment is the church. If you're going to serve the Lord in this dispensation, come on, if you're going to do it scripturally, if you're going to be right before God, you're going to be a part of the church. You're going to minister through the church. You're going to give, come on, through the church. To the church, through the church. Yeah. What a privilege. Have a part in God's work. <laughs> like the psalmist said, man, I just rejoice. If I could just be a doorkeeper at God's house, I'd be honored, you know. And we ought to have that kind of spirit. If, whatever I can do to be, a, to be a part of God's work, to see it go forward, to see it accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish. So the vehicle for accomplishment, the means of accomplishment. Look back at verse number 12 again. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought. You know where this is going, don't you? The hands of the apostles. The inference here, when you talk about hands, you're talking about work. Remember that old four-letter word? Oh, no, work. <laughs> Come on, there's work involved. I remember <laughs> Brother Jet years ago, heard a preacher talking about he was, <clears throat> he was going to a funeral. And so on his way, he thought, I better stop and get my car cleaned up. So he, he stopped to go through this car wash. It's one of those car washes where... They tend to your car, you know, and wipe it down and all that. Of course, he's dressed for a funeral, you know. And, and I guess some of the work, one of the workers there knew who he was. So he steps out of his car while they're detailing it and all, and he's waiting there. And one of the guys said, well, I wish I was a preacher. <laughs> Drive a big fancy car and wear those fancy clothes. He said, I was about half mad anyway. He said, I said, listen, bud. You want to be a preacher? I'll give you the keys to this fancy car and you can take this suit of clothes and you can go down to this funeral and you can try to be a comfort to this widow who just lost her husband and try to be a comfort to her three kids that lost their daddy. And he said, this guy said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, preacher. Can't you take a joke? <laughs> he said, the older I get, less I can take jokes sometimes, you know. Come on, this, this is a ministry. It involves work. I can tell you, as, as having been there, I sat where he sat. Uh, he's not out on the golf course seven days a week or six days a week. Come on, I'm telling you, there's work involved in the ministry. And if you're expecting <laughs> this church to accomplish what God wants it to, it's not going to be done all on the back of your pastor. It involves everybody being involved. Come on, everybody being involved, having a place. Come on, Paul talked about it there in Corinthians about everyone being placed in the church for a certain, certain purpose. The eye, remember the eye to the ear and that sort of thing. Everybody has a place and a purpose and everybody's needed. Come on, everybody's needed. Yeah. I mentioned that passage there in chapter 13, verse 2. Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, to the work Whereunto I have called them. It's a work. It involves work. <laughs> you might appreciate this. This is called defining your place of service. Listen to this. If you're doing it because no one else will, it's a job. If you're doing it to serve the Lord, it's a ministry. 
If you're doing it just well enough to get by, it's a job. If you're doing it to the very best of your ability, it's a ministry. If you're doing it only so long as it doesn't interfere with other activities, <laughs> it's a job. If you're staying with it, even when it means letting go of other things, it's a ministry. If you're doing it because someone else said it needs to be done, it's a job. If you're doing it because you're convinced the Lord wants it done, it's a ministry. If you quit doing it because no one praises you or thanks you or appreciates you, it's a job. If you continue on in your place of service, even when no one seems to notice, it's a ministry. If it's hard to get excited about what you're doing, it's a job. If it's impossible not to be conscious of the eternal importance of what you're doing, it's a ministry. If you're doing it to get paid, it's a job. If you're doing it for God's glory, it's a ministry. People may say, well done when you do your job. The Lord will say, well done when you complete your ministry. A carnal church is filled with people doing jobs. A spiritual church is filled with people involved in ministry and continuing in them. <laughs> Where's your place? Let me throw in for free also. Remember who you're serving. Now I know to serve the Lord we serve men. But to serve the Lord we serve men. If you're just serving men, I promise you, you'll peter out. <laughs> you'll burn out. Because people are mean and cruel and rude. And they don't appreciate. And they won't pat you on the back. If you're doing it for the applause of men, you'll peter out. You won't make it. In fact, even if you continue on, you'll be bitter. <laughs> you ever met a bitter Christian? I met some bitter preachers. It's a sorry state of affairs. You, remember, you better remember who you're serving. You know what? The Lord Jesus will never disappoint you. He'll never use you or abuse you. Come on. He's a wonderful Lord. He's a wonderful Savior. Again, somebody ought to write a song. Amen. He's a wonderful Savior to me. Praise God. He can be a wonderful Savior to you. If you're serving your Savior, you'll never be disappointed. You'll never regret it. I've used the illustration. You never get later, later in your life and look back and say, you know, I wish I had chosen not to serve God. That'll never happen. You'll get down the road and say, I wish I had served God. <laughs> but you'll never regret serving the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's a good Savior. He's a good, serve. He's a, he's a good master. He, he's good to those that serve him. So again, the means of accomplishment is by the hands of the apostles. You can't get around it. <laughs> you don't wave a wand I tell, I, I got to tell you, you're talking about church planners and church planning. I got to tell you, I, we need some church planners that need a good swift kick in the backside. We, we've kind of developed, and I'm glad for these church, I said, I thank God for church planning conferences and they take offerings and stuff to help these young guys. I'm thankful for it. But the, but the liability on the other side of that is they can kind of get the attitude that they're dependent upon other churches and other people to meet their need and they can get their eyes off of the one they're serving. The Lord uses people and churches to meet needs but he's our supply. Come on. He's the one that meets the need. He's the one we're supposed to be depending upon. Years ago, <clears throat> had a guy who was going to go to Shenandoah, Iowa, town we were promoting for church planning and uh, I'd been corresponding with him. I was excited about him coming. He was coming up, had plans and all. And all of a sudden, somebody told me he's not coming. I said, what? He's not coming now. I said, what happened? Here's what happened. He took a survey. He, he took time, came up, brought somebody with him. They did some survey in town. They couldn't find one person that wanted to see a Baptist church in their town. Wow. <laughs> so he left. Can you imagine Jonah going to Nineveh? <laughs> hey, I'd like to know if you'd like to hear some preaching. <laughs> Come on. Good night. What in the world are we thinking? Who are we serving? 
Who is leading us? Who's guiding us? Who's the one that's supposed to be our Lord and our master? The means of the accomplishment, the the hands of the apostles. Number three, last point, the place of accomplishment. Look again at verse number 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Among the people. The ministry of this church and every Bible-believing Baptist church, you know what your ministry, to, to whom your ministry is? It's people. Lord Jesus, the Bible records, says he looked on the multitudes and he wept over them. Why? Because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Come on, the ministry is to the people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Come on, what's Jesus talking about when he talks about the world? He's not talking about preaching to trees. He's not talking about going to the mountains. Come on, he's talking about people, the people of the world. It's the people that need the gospel. Gospel doesn't help a tree. (laughs) At least directly. (laughs) Come on, the, the, the Great Commission has a focus upon people. And so the ministry of this church and every church, the ministry of the institution of the church is a ministry to people. I remember I mentioned Dr. Cavan this morning. I remember him talking one time. He said, this is back in the 70s. He said, I'm looking for the perfect church to to pastor. He said, it pays about $50,000 a year and has no people. (laughs) You probably heard this. If you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it. Yeah. What's the problem with churches? They're made up of people. But like the songwriter said, people need the Lord. Amen. Come on, people need the Lord. The answer for the churches is that they know the Lord, that they submit to the Lord, they yield to the Lord, they let him be the Lord of their life. That makes the difference. The place of accomplishment, it's a ministry to people. People's needs. The greatest need, of course, is the spiritual need of salvation. What shall it profit a man, Jesus said, if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? (laughs) Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Come on, the most valuable thing you possess is your soul. It's going to spend eternity somewhere. And the souls of everybody that you meet, come on, just look around this room. This is a room full of souls. (laughs) And every one of us one day is going to spend eternity somewhere and God intends for us to spend it in heaven with him. But again, how shall they hear without a preacher? Come on. (laughs) How shall they preach except they be sent? So we send missionaries. (laughs) I'm sure, Brother Jet, you're like me. I said, I've got a burden for every field in the world. As a pastor, we'd have a missionary come. He'd show his slides and he'd tell the story. Man, I'm just, I'm getting burdened down. But it's not practical or reasonable for God to call me to every field. I can't go to every field. (laughs) But I can have a part in seeing that someone does go to every field by helping send them. (laughs) If I can reiterate some things I said this morning, I'll tell you what, it'd be a different country today if the gospel was being preached as it ought to be preached. If we're talking about this institution the Lord established for the good of society would be fulfilling its job, accomplishment. Come on, talking about accomplishment, talking about fulfilling our responsibility. If we're really all engaged, not allowing, just say, well, that's the preacher's job. No, come on. If you're a child of God, it's your job. The great commission is given to the church and the church is the people. And we're supposed to be engaged in the great commission of getting the gospel out. Come on, everybody you meet at the mall, everybody you pass by on the sidewalk, have you ever contemplated? I wonder where they're spending eternity because they are spending eternity somewhere. I'll guarantee you Jesus wouldn't look at them and say, well, hi, how you doing? (laughs) The Apostle Paul, man, what what a great inspiration he is. If you remember the story, uh, he just got run out of town. It'd been a hard thing. And so his, his missionary team said, Paul, it's been rough here lately. Why don't you just take a little time off. And they said, listen, why don't you go on up to Athens? 
there's a lot to see there. It's kind of a tourist place like it is still today. And it's just kind of, now Paul, we know, but just back off a little. You need, some, you need a break. You need a little rest here. And so, Paul, you go there, and we'll finish up some business here, and we'll meet you there, and then we'll go on from there. But just take a little time off. So, so Paul, they kind of talked him into it. Okay, so he went on to Athens. You know the story. He goes, well, Mars Hill, I'll go up there, see the Acropolis and all that. And so he's up there on Mars Hill, and he's looking around as a tourist. And he, you know the story? <laughs> he sees all these little, uh, what do you call them? Little places of worship, but uh, what's the word? They, what did you say? Shrine. There's the word. Little shrines that they had to all these different gods. Remember the story? <laughs> I love to kind of visualize in my mind some of the accounts, narratives in Scripture. I can just kind of see Paul. I mean, the farther he's going, <laughs> the more you can just see it building up. <laughs> he's biting on his lip, on his tongue. I can't stand it. I got to preach. <laughs> and so he begins to preach that message on Mars Hill. He says, I see all these, these places, all these gods. And I just, I saw all this one, this one place you had to the unknown God. Let me tell you about who he is. I'll tell you and you won't be unknown anymore. And man, I got to preach the truth. What they need to hear is the truth. <laughs> you ever been like that? Amen. We ought to be like that more often than we're not. <laughs> world needs to hear the answer. I've said this a couple of weeks ago, um, inauguration day. This is Sunday night crowd, so I'm among friends. I don't care what they say. The election was stolen. I said that for the record. Anyway, I am on TV too. Aren't I? <laughs> now I got a mark on my forehead. Uh, anyway, you may recall there was kind of a Encouragement to go down to the state capitals and protest, you know. So I thought, I'm going. I told my wife, I'm going. She said, don't take your gun. I said, I'm not taking my gun. <laughs> I said, but I'm going. I'm, I need to stand up, you know. So, <clears throat> But as I thought about going, and Brother Goodrick met me there, we went together. The Lord kind of convicted me. I said, you know, I'm not going to wear my Trump hat. I've got, I've got a couple of them. <laughs> I'm not going to take a Trump flag. or I, I've got one of those flags. Don't tread on me. Come on. I'm, I'm a red, white, and blue-blooded American. Amen. Love my country. I said, no. What the people need to hear is Jesus saves. <laughs> yes, sir. So I made me a sign. <laughs> Brother Goodrick and I stood there at the, there's a statue of Abraham Lincoln on the west side of the Capitol there. I was pretty disappointed. There were three guys beside us that showed up and they had the flags and the hats and they marched around the Capitol. We stood there for, I don't know, about two and a half, three hours and I had my sign, Jesus saves. And I had underneath it, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. I was blessed in this way. Some people would drive by and they'd look over, they'd honk and Give me the thumbs up. A bus, a guy driving a city bus, he turned, stopped there and turned. Oh, man, I mean, he honked loud and hard. He's waving at me. He said, yeah. <laughs> hey, that is the answer. Yes. Answer's not going to come from Washington, D.C. I, I hope you know that by now. Okay? And I'll tell you what, by the way, we, we've got some godly, good congressmen. I'm telling you, we do. There are a few, but, you know, God's always kind of specialized in using the few yeah, but there's a few good men and women in Congress. I've met some of them who have a heart for God and, and they know it's a spiritual battle. And I'm telling you, we got some good folks there. But we got some evildoers there. We got some enemies of righteousness. <laughs> I got another message I've, I've preached of late and my wife's not real big on me preaching it, but where David, and this is the word of God, it's David, but it's God's word. And he talked about praying for God to destroy his enemies. And you know the passages that put a hook in their jaw and turn them back. And I've prayed that way. Come on, it's admonition in the word of God. I know we're salt and light and I know love your enemies. I know all that, but it's not in conflict. 
The word of God doesn't, con- you know, doesn't contradict itself. But there is a place for those, I'm telling you, who are avowed enemies of righteousness. They're against God. They're not in the valley of decision. No, I'm talking, they, they've cast their lot. They've sealed their mind, if you will. They're seared against the things of God. I'm telling you, they're the enemies. And they're in our country today. I'm talking about in places of leadership in our country today. <laughs> but the answer is still, Jesus saves. Amen. <laughs> answer for Washington, D.C. is they just need to get saved. Answer for our state governments and our city hall and council. They need to get saved. The answer is the same everywhere. Jesus saves. He doesn't just save from hell. He'll save a country from itself and from destruction. Jesus saves. It's a message we need to preach among the people. Spiritual needs certainly are the greatest of all needs. But there's physical needs as well. Again... I say some of the fault in our country today really lies at the feet of churches that have fallen down in their place of responsibility. One of our founders, I think it was John Marshall, who was the first chief justice, said, if you're going to be an office holder in America, this is chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Hello. He said, if you're going to be an office holder in the United States of America, you must be a Christian. He said, because only Christians can understand our Constitution. <laughs> yeah. But churches today have gotten away from their responsibility to influence the church. You may know about the Danbury letter, <clears throat> Danbury Baptist that wrote the letter to Thomas Jefferson about they were concerned about the, <clears throat> the growth of government to the point that it was influencing churches and controlling churches. And those Baptists, our history and our heritage is a goodly heritage. And they had an issue about that. And so they wrote President Thomas Jefferson at the time about the matter. And he concurred and he agreed with them. Now the leftists will take that thing and they'll hammer about this separation of church and state. And, and Thomas Jefferson wrote that letter to the Danbury Baptist. No, he was responding to what they said. And his concern wasn't for churches running government. Quite the contrary. He was concerned as they were about government running churches. And he did want a separation of church and state, separation of state from church. He wanted, he welcomed the influence of churches in our government. God knows we need more of it yet today. But the influence has fallen away. And churches have not stood up to their place of responsibility and not preached the truth and gotten into political issues because, come on, political issues are at their roots spiritual issues. For churches to stand up and speak to some of those things. So, therefore, we have some of the conditions that we have today. Government has taken over places of responsibility that churches used to meet. I think it was Grover Cleveland, who was a Democrat, strangely enough. He wrote quite a dissertation about how government should not be involved in feeding the poor. <laughs> he said, that's the place of churches to help meet those needs. But churches were more than happy to let government do it. And here we are today. Come on, we've fallen down. Jesus did have something to say about meeting the needs of the poor. <laughs> And I'm not saying we, we move from the, the spiritual emphasis into some sort of a social emphasis. On the contrary, Jesus fed the multitudes for what purpose? <laughs> because he was there to meet their spiritual need. Okay. And so again, there's some things that we've kind of we've looked the other way and we've kind of forgotten about. But come on, our responsibility is to meet the needs of people. Yes. Go back to that church there in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, they met physical needs. People brought offerings and things and laid it at the apostles' feet. Come on, you know the passage. What for? To meet the needs of the people. There's a place for that. Getting quiet. (laughs) But there's a place for that. But keep it in balance. Absolutely. But there is a place for it. So again, I say the place of accomplishment is among the people. We've got to have a focus upon the needs of people. And meeting physical needs gives us an opportunity then many times to meet the most important need, which is the spiritual need. Again, what if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? 
<laughs> There's some groups, some missionary boards that have got it out of bounds. They've gone in and they're teaching people how to farm and how to fish and all. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's helpful in their physical need. But what about the most important need? What's the very purpose of the Great Commission? To meet the spiritual need. So, I'll sum it up again just saying this. Come on, you're a part of the most important institution. There's three key important ones. But I'll tell you what, the church is not just third in order necessarily. And I'm not taking away from the family. Family's first. I say again, you get the family messed up, you'll have a church messed up. But don't in any way underestimate or undervalue the importance of this place the difference that we're supposed to make and can make, yea, and should make, is an eternal difference. Amen. So don't ever be found guilty of saying, well, I would go, but I got something more important to do tonight. No, you don't. <laughs> you can say it and try to justify it and rationalize, but come on, in your heart, if you're a child of God, you know better than that. Church houses there. I said when I was growing up, <clears throat> I was raised in a Christian home. I think I said this morning, my dad was a deacon. My mom was a church secretary. We lived 20 miles. I, I know some folks here live a long distance away from here. We lived 20 miles away from church. And, but I tell you what, when the door squeaked, the lightics were there. <laughs> I said, I've, I've given us a testimony many times. If I would have said something, you know, a teenager say to dad say, are we going to church this Sunday? I can only imagine, because I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been foolish enough to ask such a question, but I can only imagine what he would have said or done. I, this is kind of what I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> He'd look at me like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> it, wouldn't even, it wouldn't even be worthy of an answer. It's like, are you kidding me? What kind of question is that? You know it's the Lord's day. Where do we go? It's like... You know, it's like we brush our teeth. We go to bed at night. We go to church on Sunday. We go to church on Sunday night. We go to church on Wednesday night. We go to church on Thursday night visitation. We go to church when there's a banquet for whatever, Valentine's banquet. Whatever the church is doing, we're there. You know why? Because we're the church. Amen. That's good, man. Yes, sir. Amen. And you're right. Come on, this is important business. This is the Lord's business. Amen. Father's business. Amen. Nothing more important. All God's people said Amen. Are you with me? Come on, it's not about being with me. I'm talking about being with God because I'm with him and I'm preaching his word. Are you with him? You agree with him? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I agree, sir. Right away, sir. <laughs> you're in the army now. You're not behind the plow. Amen. You're supposed to be engaged in the Lord's business. God help us to be found faithful. He's faithful. He intends for us to be faithful in the cause, his cause. In the institution he established to carry out his business. I'm thankful for this church. Amen. I'm not near as thankful as God is for this church. Because <laughs> right. it's his. And it's his business. Onward, Christian soldiers. On to victory. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for the book of Acts, the book of accomplishment, because it is, again, the handbook for the ministry, the institution that you established to carry out your ministry and your business. So, Father, we're thankful for it, thankful to have a part in it, be a part of it, for your glory, for your cause, for your purposes. Father, help us to be engaged, to be a part. Again, if there's someone here that has never joined and officially made themselves a part of this work, and they know in their heart this is where you'd have them be, that's why they're here. So, Father, motivate them to the point to go the next step. Not just be appreciative of the work that's done here, but to be a part of the work that's done here. And, Lord, thank you again for what is accomplished here. Thank you for Brother Jet, for his family, for the preaching of the Word of God here, for the people that uh, 
support him and serve together with him for every Sunday school teacher and church worker and nursery worker, everybody that has some place of involvement in the office, in the classroom, in the visitation program, whatever it is. Lord, help them to know that their labor is not in vain in the Lord. Preaching of the word of God, the word of God does not return void. Lord, this is difference-making ministry here. And so I'm thankful for those that are a part of it. Lord, bless them, help them in their place. All of us in our place of responsibility before you. Help us to make sure that we're doing it according to your word and according to your will for our individual lives. Help us each one, Lord, to be found faithful. You're faithful. You're the example. You set the standard. Oh, God, help us to step up to that place of responsibility. Speak to hearts here tonight. For those that are engaged and are involved and are sacrificially serving you, oh, God, put the wind to their back. Encourage them in their place. Commend them, Lord. Reward them openly. They're worthy of it because you're worthy and you've made them so. So I pray again. In each case, you know the need, you know the heart. So I pray you'd speak to the heart in that regard. And I'll praise you and thank you for it. Rejoice in it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.